0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Gillow. Today we have Brian Clayton on. He's the owner of Green Pal, which is a um, it's been known as the Uber for lawn care. Uh, it's a very interesting concept he has in the Tech space for our industry, but uh, he also brings a ton of of nuggets this uh, this week on the podcast. Tons of nuggets on how he scaled the business and how he grew from a person who struggled to you know just mow one lawn in his neighborhood to clearing over thirty million in revenue last year in in, a, in his tech business. So uh, listen along if you learn want to learn how. He went from who he was to who he is now and the growth trajectory that it took to get there and the personal growth that needed to happen in order for him to become the man that could run a $30 million company. That excites you? Keep on listening. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. And today, my guest is a a successful entrepreneur and co-founder of GreenPal, an online platform that connects homeowners and local lawn care professionals. He's born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and he developed an early interest in entrepreneurship and started his first business at the age of 13, uh, mowing lawns in a neighborhood. After completing high school, uh, he continued to grow his landscaping business and eventually founding Peachtree, which uh, he grew to be one of the largest landscaping companies in Tennessee. And under his leadership, Peachtree generated over ten million a year in annual revenue. In two thousand thirteen, Peachtree was acquired uh, by a national company and one of the largest acquisitions in, lands- in the landscaping industry. Following that acquisition, he turned his focus to a new venture called GreenPal. That's what we're going to learn about today. So since that founding, GreenPal has grown rapidly and now serves over 200,000 active users, um, completing thousands of transactions per day. The company has been recognized by several publications, including Entrepreneur Magazine, which dubbed it the Uber for lawn care. Moreover, GreenPal is entirely self-funded, a rare accomplishment in the startup world. The uh, company has been profitable since the first year of operation and as of 2021 is reported to doing over $30 in revenue, Uh, definitely a remarkable achievement for a bootstrap startup. He is also an experienced public speaker and has uh, given talks on topics such as entrepreneurship, marketing, small business growth at conferences, and events across the United States. He's passionate about helping other entrepreneurs succeed and is known for his expertise in bootstrapping businesses from zero revenue to profitability and exit. Welcome to the show, Brian Clayton. Joshua, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. So, wow, what a what a story. So, tell me a little bit about getting started at age 13. Like, what, what possessed you to start a business? Why not just go work, you know, on the side or something like that for somebody? Why start a business that young? What, what possessed you to do that?
1: Yeah. You know, I'd like to tell you that I was born some natural entrepreneur, some some business owner, like uh, just innately knew how to start a business. But the reality is I, I did it. I, I was actually forced into uh, my first business by my dad. He got tired of watching me play Nintendo all day and, <laughs> <laughs> and Love it. he and uh, interrupted a game of Mar- Super Mario Kart one day and said, hey, get off your butt. Uh, I got a gig for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And he... <laughs> made me go cut the neighbor's grass. And luckily he did that because, uh, I remember, uh, I got paid $20 for an hour of work. And that was just awesome to me as a 13 year old. I thought, man, I just, something clicked. I was like, why doesn't everybody just do this? I don't understand why anybody would just go work a normal job when you can just do something like this. And I, I, I remember I passed out, started passing out flyers all over the neighborhood and and little by little, had like 10, 20, 30 customers. And by the time I graduated high school, I had like 100 customers that I was mowing yards for. Wow. And uh, stuck with that little lawn mowing business through college. I uh, went, went to school at night and uh, mowed grass during the day. And And when I graduated college, I had to make a decision. Was I going to be a lawn guy the rest of my life? Uh, which I didn't really want to be a lawn guy. Uh, but but uh, I I started doing some back of the envelope math and I was like, when I'm making mowing yards, I'm going to take a big pay cut if I go try to get a job somewhere. So it was a pretty easy decision. Mm-hmm. And I made a little business plan with what little I knew, I did actually learn in business school. And started working that plan and, and, and it became real clear to me that this could be my lane, that I could actually build a real company in this industry and started learning from, from companies bigger than me and, and going to other markets and studying the biggest company in town and, and, uh, and little by little, you ended up growing it to one of the larger landscaping businesses in the state of Tennessee. Uh, eventually, 150 employees, around $10 million a year in revenue. And then 2013, that business was acquired by a national company. And so growing that business just from me and a push mower to 90 trucks going out every day, I learned quite a bit about how to get a business
0: going. Man, I bet you do, holy crap. <laughs> that's uh, that's really, really cool. And when you started it, did you, I mean, obviously not at 13, but throughout the process, was your goal to be acquired or was it, did it just come up as an opportunity?
1: It's a, it's a really good question. So if you are planning on ever selling your business, Uh, We need to start thinking about that today, Uh, because the way you run a business as as kind of a lifestyle business or maybe a business that you are going to hand off to kids one day or you're just going to run it the rest of your life is very different. Than how you should run a business that you plan on exiting, that you plan on selling. And so for me, I really thought I was going to run this company f- for 20, 30, 40 years. I-, mm-hmm. I thought, hey, you know, it's clicking, it's profitable, I enjoy it. And uh, there was something I didn't realize that was going on while I was running the business was as I was kind of growing up and learning how to to grow grow a company, I was evolving alongside the business Mm -hmm. and every, almost like a video game, every two or three years, every level of the game, I was evolving. I was getting new skills. I was growing. And that was like fulfilling in a way that I didn't know that was happening at the time. And I guess it was year 11 or 12, I had plateaued as far as that personal growth had, had, had been concerned, you know, like I I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't being challenged in the way that I was in the first three or four levels of the game. and. That was weighing on me in a way that I didn't really understand at the time. But now looking back, I understand it clearly that I was not satisfied. I was not fulfilled by the business anymore. And I was almost in a weird way annoyed by it. And I wasn't happy to, to go into the office every day. I wasn't, I wasn't excited about running it. I was just done. Mm. And by the, from the moment I had that kind of epiphany uh, to exploring how to get a business sold, what needed to happen how to, you know, how to court buyers was over two years. So it was a very excruciating two year process of reverse engineering the the business and, and rebuilding it from the inside out and getting it to a point where it could be acquired. And then realizing all the mistakes I had made running the business in, in, in a, in a, in a lifestyle uh, type of business and not one to be acquired. So, um, If you're gonna do that, make the decision now. And then there's a great book called Built to Sell where it lays out very clearly a roadmap on things you should be thinking about and doing now if you wanna sell your business in five years.
0: I love it, dude. Because I know I got in the business thinking this is much better than working for somebody. I worked at a restaurant when I was younger and I'm like, you know, I didn't mind it. It was easy. I didn't have to think a whole lot. But then when I started working for myself and seeing what kind of money he'd be made and I'm like, holy moly, then you start leveraging others, you know, to be part of your team and you start to build all that and then all these muscles you've got to build, right? Because when you're the only operator in the beginning, you're like, I can do the mowing part. I can do the building part. But then you've got to be, how about this whole managing thing? And what about managing a business? And what about managing books? And what about like all of these other muscles have to be developed as you go. And then to your point, hey, you know, I eventually want to sell this thing. Now I've got to learn how to become the person who can do that. Right. There's right. this whole development of, of, of personal and the personal nature. And I always tout that is, you know, you're never going to grow. Your business will never grow faster than you are. Right? Right. And if you're not growing faster than your business, you're not outpacing it with personal growth and you're not going to go anywhere. So if you want to be stuck in business forever and own your job, do nothing. Just do your thing. Right. right. But if you want to grow past that, you're going to have to get on, you know, uncomfortable. You're going to have to get out there and you're gonna have to face your biggest fear. So walk us through how that worked for you and how you went from 13 to selling, you know, a company later in life, especially when it wasn't even developed to do that. Like your mindset shift is more what I'm interested in. How did you go from that guy pushing the lawnmower at 13 to the guy selling a business?
1: Yeah, there was kind of like uh, moments along the way that stand out, that that epiphanies that I had along the way. I guess maybe year uh, year five or six, I realized that I wasn't actually in the landscaping business at all. I was in the sales business, mm-hmm. and that and that while I had you know fifty trucks going out every day, and and dozens of employees, and lawnmowers, and mechanics, and all of this stuff, that none of that really mattered what mattered was the sales process on top of all that and running that sales team and organizing the sales process and 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 getting the right people on the bus to run that sales engine was what's going to take us from 1 million to 3 million to 5 million to 10 million and and if i didn't get that right if i couldn't get the sales engine right that no, none of it even mattered and and everything that i was so proud of w- with respect to all of the vehicles and trucks we had and lawnmowers and iron and equipment and how great our customers properties looked. None of that mattered. None of that was going to get me to five or 10 million if I didn't figure out the sales process and I couldn't really dial that in. And that took, you know, five years to, to, to figure out and get right. Because back then in 2005, there was no YouTube university. There were, you know, there weren't podcasts. There weren't, there were some books, um, but there really wasn 't a way to easily learn best practices, so it was it was very much me i would go to I would go to conferences and I would like try to try to talk to people with companies much bigger than mine and I would try to meet with the person like I went to Chicago one year and met met a guy who was running an eighty million dollar a year landscaping company and just learn five things from him and I would do that over and over again and try to apply it to my little business and get it to where it was. I was working on the business and, and less in the business. And that took a long, long time. And and then, and then also working on myself. like So three things at once, on the business, in the business, and, and then on yourself, because you as the founder have to learn the skills around sales, around leadership, around management, around around accounting and bookkeeping and legal. And you get to be 80-20 good at all these things to pull something like this off. Otherwise, you're just going to be in that self-employed bucket. And... And most business owners don't realize it, that they're stuck in the self-employed bucket. They're not really business owners. And that's a big kind of chasm to, to cross. And a lot of it is working on yourself and making those long-term bets on yourself to get the skills you need to get to cross that chasm.
0: No doubt, dude. And I own my job for the longest time guys out there listening. Don't think we're trying to beat up on you. Trust me. I didn't even know anything else existed. I didn't even realize that, but so Brian, I'd love to talk to you about that moment when you realized you own your job and you made that transition. What were some of your first steps to get out and start becoming a business owner instead of an owner of your job?
1: Yeah. Well, so first off, there's nothing wrong with being self-employed and there's nothing wrong with, with quote, owning your job. If you make good margins and you make good revenue and you can take that, uh, that, uh, low quality revenue and turn it into high quality revenue. So I know several wealthy people that are self-employed. They just have taken the money they've made doing whatever they do very well and invested in real estate, invested in equities and and that stuff compounds and builds over time. And next thing you know, you're independently wealthy. So there there is a path to wealth, maybe even one that's a lot less stressful and a lot more straightforward of being self-employed. So I'm not knocking that. Um, But... If you want to be a business owner, if you want to have an asset that you could sell one day, something that maybe you could you could like take six months off from and and come back and it not only still be there, but be doing better than it was. Um, it can run and auto and and it's running on its own and thriving on its own. Um, that's a whole nother endeavor than 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 just being self-employed. And and a lot of it it, you know, everybody talks about it, good, but it does come down to systems and processes and working on those and tuning those and getting those better and better and better and, and trying to take yourself, remove yourself out of the business as much as you can. And it's so hard to do. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wasn't able to sell my business the, the moment I wanted to, because I had built this business, which was basically scaffolding around me. And it all depended on me to make the decisions at every, right. ever, at every moment, and and so I had to kind of tear down the scaffolding, so to speak, and put in people, uh, in in roles, and set the goals for those people to to, to succeed. It took a long time to get that right. There's a great book, uh, the E Myth, by Michael Gerber. It's a very simple book that walks the reader through this this thinking of developing an org chart day one if you do that right day one you might say, well, I don't have any employees, I don't need an org chart. well, you still need an organization of who is chief of, of, of marketing who is chief of product who's chief of customer service who is uh, chief of r d who's going to be okay now uh, and then you know, who, who are the people actually doing the work under these these columns of, of, of people that that you're going to eventually need to hire? But start, but start thinking through what these roles look like and then start peeling your name off at one slowly as time goes on and delegating to contractors, freelancers, and employees to do these things better than you were doing. Um, and, and start thinking through it that way rather than is just doing everything and it's just chaos, which is how my business was.
0: Yeah, mine too, dude. I didn't realize any of this stuff. I read that book and that changed everything for me meant by my nobody Berman. teaches us yeah. this stuff nope. don't. no You, you we can, get an EIN and, to, and we say here's how you pay taxes and it's off to the races you go figure yep. it out right you can go get so an MBA like, and not learn any of this stuff exactly so when, when you get out there in the, in the streets and you've got to start fighting for yourself and your profits and all that stuff it becomes a very different game that's so right. I, I love that dude that's true i mean so, what were some of the first things you did to start working on yourself? That mindset side, that shift to go from you know the the, the business, uh, the you know worker of the business into the business owner side. What were some of the the moves you made besides for reading?
1: Yeah, first uh, first was like coming into my style of leadership, kicking and screaming because. I really wasn't a people person, and I and I really didn't want to admit that I needed to work on a lot of my uh, faults that, that made me a pretty pretty terrible leader. And one one thing, one epiphany was, uh, I was driving into the office one day, and and I, I was just like, man, I don't want to go here. I I don't I don't like a lot of the people that work here. Um, I, you know, there's all these. The, the customers that that i don't like that that aren't really that profitable um and they're getting on my nerves and it was just like i, I really really just didn't want to go and and uh then it hit me and i felt like a victim almost i felt like i was like why is all this why does all this stuff suck and and why why is why are things this way and then it hit me like you built this. This is a reflection of you. <laughs> like <It's a> <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like, yeah. like I don't know why that, that just like fell on me like a ton of bricks, but it did. It was like you, this is literally a reflection of you. If 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 there's a bunch of people that work for you who are jerks and assholes, it's probably because you are. Yeah. And and so then I I I had to like come to the realization that. You, you get the exactly the level of enthusiasm that you deserve. You get exactly the vibration levels that you deserve as the founder, because it really does all start with you. And, and so from the moment you go in to the moment that you leave the office, you've got to carry the energy. You got to carry the enthusiasm. You got to care about the customers. You got to care about your people. You got, got to really care. Uh, and if you're not willing to do that, then this is probably not a a game for you. Um, And if if you're not willing to to make those changes, then then you're not gonna be successful in a business that is dependent on employees and, and people. You know, if 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 you're lucky enough to have a business where you don't have to have employees, I don't know of many that 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 that, that can. But uh, but if you're going to have people and you're going to have teammates and you're going to have to have people serving people, then you're gonna you're in the people business. And so a lot of it does come down to what is your enthusiasm level, what is what is your level of excitement, and and your level of commitment. How much do you really care about? Uh, what what the standard of excellence is in the business, and how 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 much do you really hold yourself to account? What do you look like? Is your shirt tucked in? You know you know do, do you carry a level of professional of professionalism when you come into the office? And, and not that like if you fix all these things, that everything else will just magically correct itself. But if you don't fix these things, you you don't have a chance of 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 fixing all the other things that's wrong in your business. So I had to do that, and uh, you know these days you can get coaches and mentors and. And consultants to help you through these things. For me, it was just a lot of trial and error back then. But then I was able to avoid these mistakes when I built my second company. So I think a lot of people have to do these things wrong, get, get fed up,
0: bottom out before they can rebuild and, and do it the right way. Man, I couldn't agree with you more. There's nothing that replaces getting beat up in the street. (laughs) There's nothing that replaces that making the wrong fucking move over and over again. And then hitting the same wall and then having to learn. Because those are the lessons that last a lifetime. And like you said, when you start a new company, you're like, I know exactly what to avoid. I know exactly who to hire. I know exactly what to do. And it's so much faster. I know that with second, third, and fourth companies, it's like, all of a sudden, you're like, I I I got a direct line to success here, right? It's not going to be easy. But it can be pretty simple because you understand the line of it. So but that comes from taking all those licks out there on the street. That takes you, <laughs> all those you can't avoid them. Guys listening, girls out there listening. You can't avoid the problems. Problems are the gifts we grow from. You must have problems. And, and the only time you don't have problems is when you're dead. Let's put it that way. Right. That's you just it. want higher quality problems. That's all right. <laughs> you just want That's to keep it. raising the standard of your problems. So you have bigger things to do now. So. Dude, I love all of this as you're really cranking along here now. So go from, you know, Peachtree into starting Green pal and how that, you know, were you just bored? I mean, you sold your company, you've, you've, you're now like, I'm free now, now what? Like, how did that work for you?
1: Man, it's a, it's a really good question. Uh, you know, what happened, how it went down is I, I, I got the business sold. I was exhausted after I got that company acquired. It was like two years of hell and a lot of stressful days, a lot of sleepless nights, trying to get the deal done. And after I got it sold, I thought, "Oh, whew, uh, I'm gonna live the good life now because I don't want to do that ever again." That was really yeah. hard, and 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 that was fun for about three months, maybe six, uh, where I was just kind of, you know, reading a lot and taking a lot of vacations and laying on a lot of beaches, and and I, I started to learn about myself that that I was wired to want to be in the game. Uh, I really wanna be a part of a project. I really wanna be a part of something that's growing and succeeding and challenging. And I really don't want to do a lot of the things that sucked in the last business over again, but I do want to be a part of something that is bigger than me. And all of that was now wiped out, gone. Like there was a lot, I went through a little bit of an identity crisis after I sold that company because it's 15 years. It was all I ever knew. And and my employees were kind of like family to me. And now that was all like not there. And I thought, well, okay, I I think I want to start another company. I definitely don't want to do that again because that was really hard. But uh, but I think I st- I can start a tech company because that'll be so much easier. <laughs> and and uh, I didn't really yeah I didn't really know what I didn't know, and that was good because yeah. if I had if I had known how hard a, a technology business is to get off the ground, I never would have done it. But I had an idea that I thought, well, what could I do? Well, i know the I know the lawn mowing business really well and 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 then I started like looking at what Airbnb and Uber were doing at the time. This is 2014. and they were kind of blowing up. and and for the first time, um, y- these apps on our phones were making real world experiences happening. Up until then, uh, technology was very much, uh, bits. It was very much like a screen and, and you would interact with a screen and that was, it, it was, it was confined to the computer. Mm-hmm. Well, with Uber and, and, you know, you could, you could, a car would appear out of nowhere and, 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 Airbnb, you could stay in a stranger's, uh, spare bedroom. And that was crazy. And then, and then other stuff, you know, like, like Postmates and, and it was, and DoorDash were, were emerging and it's like, man, like, like this phone is really becoming the remote control for our lives, and this wasn't really clear at the time. Now it is in 2023. It's 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 really clear. But back then, 10, 11 years ago, it, it wasn't. It was it wasn't really clear. And I thought, well, for this one little humble industry that I know very well, maybe I could build something like that, where where you could just order a lawn mowing service like like a book on Amazon or or like an Uber. And I thought, well, how hard could it be? You know, we'll just get some contractors, we will get some customers, and we'll build the screens and and uh and I didn't know how to code I didn't know how to build software i didn't know ever I had never done any of that and I thought well uh I'll get a couple of co-founders because that's what you need to do and and then uh we'll just pay a dev shop to build what we think it should be, and we'll launch that and we'll just in two years we'll be done <laughs> and uh <laughs> and so we did all that uh, and we pulled our money together and spent like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars with a development shop in Nashville where we live and and they took 9 months and built what what our vision was and released it and it was just dead it like didn't have the features it needed it was crappy to use it was buggy contractors hated it homeowners were like confused by it uh, it was just dead on arrival, and and it was re- it really really sucked because we wasted a lot, we wasted almost a year and all our money, because I didn't want to take the proceeds from the sale of my last company and like squander them on on, on this on this bet, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to go backwards in life, and I never wanted to pick up another weed eater ever again, and so I thought this new company kind of needs a sing for its supper, and and it and that was a smart thing that I guess I did by accident. Because that was the those those confined, um, restrained resources is what in, was what forced us to do the things we needed to do, which was okay. Let's go get ten people, twenty people, to try to use this crappy app, and five contractors to use it, and let's just study. It everything about the activity on the platform and ask them and learn from everywhere we're letting them down. And then let's just fix those things. And like almost like a hospital emergency room, let's just triage around Mm -hmm. what the three or four most important things are at any given time. And just fix those little by little and try to build something here. Because when we were talking to these people using it, they all, they told us that the 20 ways and reasons why we sucked, but -hmm. they never told us why they never said, I don't need this. Matter of fact, they were they were let down that it didn't work. They were let down that the contractor didn't show up, or the prices were too high, or that it, it technically didn't work, or you know, you name it. There's a hundred things that can go wrong, and they were like let down. They were like this would be divine if it actually did work, and and so that was that was a uh, insight for us that this was worth continuing to pursue. It wasn't it wasn't like apathy. It we never heard meh. And, and so we just, we kept on it and, and little by little, it took a long time. It took like four years, uh, because we are, we, we had to learn how to code. We had to learn how to build software, learn how to do these things ourselves. And, 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 and three or four years went by and we, you know, we had a thousand customers in, in, in Nashville, still in one market. And then we started expanding and figuring out a little playbook on how to roll out into other cities and little by little. And so now we're, now we're like a 10-year overnight success. We're in every city <laughs> in the United States, around 300,000 people using wow. the app every week to get their lawn mowed. But, uh, but it was very slow in the early days. And, and even now, 10 years in, it still is day one where we're a drop in the bucket. You know, we need to get to a million users uh,
0: to have something really impactful. So that's what we're driving towards now. That's incredible, dude. Well, holy crap. Going from nothing through, you know, you think, yeah, it's going to be easy, right? We're not pushing mowers. We're not slaving out there and you get right. into a whole nother level. So 10 times I, harder. Yeah, 10 times it,
1: harder than the first business.
0: Isn't it crazy though? When you yeah. when you do the intellectual side of things, it's like, right. it's almost easier just to use your hands because you can see. It would have been easier. And, yeah, yeah.
1: Would have been so much, there were so many moments like that where, where it's like, I just, I just had a business that was mowing a thousand yards a day and now I can't beg five contractors to go submit a price yeah, for yeah. five, for five free properties. And, I, and and let's say one of them gets hired, I can't even get them to show up on the damn day they're supposed to. So <laughs> like all of the reasons why the lawn mowing business sucked and, and for, and, and why it sucks for homeowners to hire lawn, co- lawn care contractors and what, and what, and they're unreliable and all these things were now my problem. I had to yeah. solve them with technology. And that was something I I did not anticipate. I thought it was going to be very easy. turns out it was 10 times harder than the first company. So how did you solve that problem?
0: If you don't mind me asking.
1: We, we had to get deep into the psychology of why people make decisions and why people do what they do and figure out what is it that they want and how do we, how do we solve for what they want? Mm -hmm. And then how do we, how do we do that on both sides of a transaction to where it's 10 times easier to do it on our platform versus do it the old way? So contractors want recurring revenue. They want customers. They want customers on the same streets they're already serving. They want people to fall into a schedule every week, every two weeks. They want a fair price and uh, they want a straightforward job to do and they want to get paid quick. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those were like the the pain points we had to solve for for contractors. Homeowners want to just push a button, get pricing very quickly, hire somebody who's actually going to show up on the day they're supposed to. That was the big pain point that took us about a year to figure out. We thought it was like they just wanted the cheapest lawn mowing that can get in town. And, and what we learned was actually no, the price didn't matter. It needed to be like in market, but what really mattered was reliability and speed. Yeah, and so yeah. so figuring out how to how to solve for both those those wants and needs at the same time and and and, and, and solving for them where where, where consumers, could get reliable quotes quick. And when they hired somebody, they did show up. And then that made contractors want to use it. So it, it is like a flywheel effect. If you get five people... To try it out, and and all five have a good experience. They tell two of their neighbors that now you've got like seven, and and so so now seven customers are on there. Now another contractor comes on, so so prices are coming down just a little bit, and and now we're we're able to score the contractors if they show up on time or not. So now they're held a little more accountable. Now there's more liability. More reliability means more homeowners. More homeowners means so it's like this reinforcing flywheel where prices go down, density goes up. Um, and it's a very, it's a very simplistic overview of, of what we did that took like five years to figure out. But, but that's how we solved it was just figuring out where in the life cycle of, of people using this product, it was breaking down and solve for like the two top one or two at a time and not worry about anything else. And it took a long time. And even still to this day, 10 years in, we're still making it cheaper, faster, more reliable, smoother. To order a lawn mowing service and for a contractor we're making it to where you can make more money with less headache in the lawn
0: mowing business with green pal versus otherwise not i'd love to segue you're going right where i'm going so i know a lot of listeners here actually own lawn care businesses so from that perspective from them how do you offer now what do you offer for them and how does it look if they were to to want to come on board with you and become one of your guys
1: yeah so first off if contractors don't love it and then you don't have a product and if if they don't want to use it, if they're not making more money with less headache on your platform, then you don't have a product. And this is where a lot of uh, Uber for X companies kind of crashed and burned in the in the in the early 2000s uh, or 2010s. You know, there was Uber for home cleaning, Uber for laundry service, Uber for valet parking, you name it, and they all pretty much went out of business because. They didn't really understand that it started with the supply side, the vendor base. If they didn't love it, then there was no product to kind of order off the shelf for consumers. Right. Yeah. And so we, we solved for that and like really kind of erred on the side of the suppliers. And still to this day do uh, in terms of like uh, in terms of, of like adjudicating between buyers and sellers. We, we, we were probably 60-40 tilted towards suppliers because they have to love it because if they don't love it, you don't have a product, nope. and and so uh, for us, uh, the main things you know we we, we offer a hundred different things to vendors, but the top three or four that really matter is all the customers you need and want in a given set of zip codes on the streets that you're already running routes because this is a route driven business. Uh, this is hey, it's not like I can drive twenty minutes across town for thirty five dollar lawn mowing. This is I need to do ten. $35 lawn mowings in four hours on the same couple of streets. Yeah. So it's, we're driving you the opportunities for the same clients uh, in that same uh, corner of town and you get paid within 24 hours of the work you do. Those are the two main things, more customers and get paid quickly. Once we can prove to you we, do, we can do that, then the lock-in really gets reinforced with this is one operating system for your whole business, one CRM, one place where all of your customers' information is, one organized place for scheduling because now you know who's weekly, who's not, what days are supposed to be done. It's all organized into one thing to where you have an operating system in your pocket to where you wake up in the morning and you know exactly where you got to be and, and you just follow the process, upload the photos, of completed work, you get paid the same day. And it's the way business should be. Now you don't start there day one, you know, you start with one customer on GreenPal, but it's our job to get you to a hundred customers in a year on top of our platform. And so we have contractors, a a few, a handful that are doing over a million dollars a year of business on top of of the platform. Most are part-timers, you know, doing 20, 30 customers a week, and they don't want to go through the headache of passing out flyers or running a Facebook campaign or something like that. We can get them as many customers as they
0: want and get them paid very quickly. Got it. No, I love that. Now, if you wouldn't mind going into it, I know if I was a contractor listening thinking like maybe I'm getting tired of trying to find clients, I'd rather just have someone that does it for me and tells me where to go so I can make the revenue. How does the split work? How does it work on the financial side cuz I'd be curious about that.
1: Yeah, it's a very small fee anywhere between 5 to 10% depending on how much volume you're doing through the platform. So, a lot like like Uber takes 30% and mm-hmm. Airbnb takes I think 20, 25 and uh, but we purposely have held the fees down really low. Uh, because of my my background as a contractor, I know that the margins are already thin, and you know if you're trying to take 30% uh, of of a, of a lawn mowing cut, that's not sustainable for anybody. So yeah. so we we've purposely kept it very low, and and uh, that does two things. One, it creates long term buy in for for contractors. So we're not constantly having to like churn and burn suppliers. Whereas whereas Uber. Is always having to run uh, v- uh, driver recruitment campaigns where, like, refer your friend to drive for us, we'll pay you four hundred dollars, um, because they're always churning through drivers. Our business model wouldn't sustain that, And so we we want to we want to get a contractor on board and have them run their business forever on our platform. So, in the long term, it does it does play out. Um, but but we have plans to to make money in other ways as well uh, by offering like fintech products for for suppliers you know ways to finance equipment and and uh, and finance the growth of their business and then also uh, uh, consumer side uh, uh, like other ways to buy new products inside the app like when you for instance like when you go on on Instacart. And you, and you have your shopping cart full of items. There's like four or five suggested uh, other items that they've got. They've, they have built that all in-house. And, and so we have plans to build something like that where you could add nice. on fertilizers or other, other lawn care related products inside the app. So the first decade of this business has been building the liquidity of hundreds of thousands of users. Across, you know, hundreds of cities throughout the United States. And then now we can just now start to do these really interesting things with other ways to, to offer services and value and make money.
0: I love it. That's that's beautiful. Uh, question for you. You mentioned earlier in the conversation about how you were stuck and took about five years to kind of develop your sales process in the old business in order to kind of unstuck yourself, for lack of a better way to say it. What are some things you learned along that process the, of the sales? And I know, I know, because, you know, you learn sales, you're in sales as well. Every day, everyone listening to this podcast is in sales in some form. It's all about communication. So first of all, You know, what did you discover that during that time that helps you unlock to go to 10 million and then also how what you learned there made it possible for you to do what you're doing now? Because it's all communication in the end.
1: Yeah, I think a big sticking point for me back then and for most founders is like this ego that that comes over us that we think we're different and we think we're better than our competitors. And like we get pissed off when we don't win business because uh, we have some kind of like idea of why our business is better and why we deserve the business more than, than whoever won the, the business. Or they went with the cheapest price. And that's all people care about is the cheapest yep. price or or whatever. And, and what I didn't really under, fully understand at the, at the, at the starting uh, of that first company, and it took me a long time to learn, and I had to reinforce this in the second company, is the concept of value proposition, which is a simple like understanding of if, if I'm your ideal prospect, I'm the ideal customer that you want to do business with. Why would I choose to do business with you versus anybody else? Yep. And the answer to that question always starts with because, because X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z ain't we've got uniforms, uh, our, our trucks are clean, yeah. our receptionist answers the phone, and gives a shit. Yeah. No one gives a shit. It ain't integrity, quality, uh, peace of mind, ingenuity. You know, these things that don't matter that you like put on a wall. Um, Honesty. Yeah. That's not the answer. The answer is because I am the only person you can hire for this job that can do it in, in such a way. So it's like for Green Pal, it's like... Why if I'm your ideal prospect, why would I sign up for GreenPal versus anything else? And it's because you can get your grass cut in 60 seconds, even if it's four feet tall. And and that's it. <laughs> Nobody else can do that. Yeah. And so you got to figure out what that is for your business. And 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 it took me a while to figure it out. Like in my landscaping company, we carved out a niche where we flat out were just better at small commercial locations than anybody else in the middle Tennessee area. So if you had like a hundred banks or McDonald's or KFCs, or you name it throughout like a hundred mile radius of Nashville, you could hire us and we would do all of them. And we could do them cheaper than anybody else because we were already going to these little corners of the region and doing 10 stops. took us a while to build that competitive advantage, but that was our value proposition. So it's like, if I am the facilities manager of, of uh, SunTrust Bank, why would I choose to do business with you versus anybody else? Because I am the only contractor in Nashville that can self-service all these locations at, a, at the cheapest price and fall in with all of your guidelines and do it without subcontracting to with anybody else. I'm the only one. And you have to carve that out. You have to be the best at something. You can't just say, well, because we have clean trucks and uniforms and we call you back. Yeah. Um, it has to be the best at something in your market. And if, until you figure that out, you're just going to have a miserable time in business uh, just just trying to like sell on price and getting pissed off when you don't win business. Because you're getting outsold by people who have already thought through these things. And a lot of times in life and business, if you do things that are hard, business will be easy. If you Mm -hmm. do things that are easy, business will be hard. And I know that's like a cliche, but it's so true. And it's like, I always have to remind myself of it. You know, now that I'm in my 23rd year of, of trying to build companies that, that a lot of times when you take the, 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 the easy
0: way out, it, it always makes things harder. Absolutely, dude. It's funny you say that because that was my Facebook post like two days ago was, you know, oh, either really? do the, nice. hard, do the hard things now and life will be easier or do the easy things now and life will be harder through so many That's different so factors. You can think about that, whether it's fitness or business or whatever. Relationships, marriage, you Everything. know, raising kids,
1: yeah. uh, you know, uh, all of these things. The bill eventually comes due. Yep. And all of the things you kicked under the, you, you know, kicked the can down the road, swept under the rug, eventually get, have to come to, and, and the bill will be paid with interest. So, oh, yeah. so, you know, whether it's not figuring out the, you know, the value proposition on your business, the day you decide you want to tackle that and build a sales process around it, um, you know, it, it's going to be harder the, the longer you defer that, because you're going to have to unlearn all these other things and like address all of these other stupid things that you're doing that don't serve that, that solution.
0: So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, but that's what makes it valuable. Absolutely. And that's, that's part of our process here. You know, at Yes Express, we actually go through, it's called the about me section, which is all the value prop, what makes you honestly different. And it's not the integrity. We show up, we have clean trucks. It's bullshit. People expect that.
1: Right. That's table stakes.
0: That's, that that, that is vanilla. We need Rocky road. We need something that shocks them that they can see what the value is in it for them. From their perspective, not from yours. That's, that's right. Ego driven at that point, they've got to say, "Holy shit, I want to avoid that." You know, for instance, say design. Like everyone designs, that's great. Yeah. But if you're out there designing and you're like, "Hey, we offer 3D design," yeah, everyone else does too.
1: Yeah. How does that
0: anything for you?
1: The hard thing is is the is the realization that you don't have it yet. You don't have the thing that makes you better than your competition, yeah. and that's yeah. the thing that's painful. Um, and that's the thing that was painful for me was realizing actually. No, we're not better than our competition. Actually, our competition in many ways is better than us at yeah. certain things. Um, and so that sucks when you have to like look in the mirror and realize this thing you've spent, you know, five, six years building is not really kicking ass and you have to fix those things and figure out what you're going to be the best in your market at. Yep. That was one of the things when I was building GreenPow was that I realized I had, I had to be the best in... I had three seconds to communicate what we were the best at when somebody came to our landing page. What where am I? What can I do here and why does it matter? I had to answer those three questions. And the only way that hey, we could we could get any kind of traction was focusing on one thing. Focusing yeah. on just being the best at one thing. And so whether no matter what business you're in, you know, you really even if you've got a coffee shop, you got to focus on I have got the best uh, muffin that you can get in a, in a 20 mile radius. Sure. My yeah. coffee is pretty good. It's like Dunkin' Donuts. And like, but if you want a muffin that you want to tell your friends about, this is it. Like you have to have that one thing or otherwise business is going to be tough.
0: You know, one of the easiest ways, you tell me if you have a better way to do this, but the easiest way to find this out, ask your clients why they chose you just ask them. And then pretty soon write down, you know, call 10 people, your top clients, the ones you would want to, you know, photocopy and have day after day and ask them why they choose you. And you're going to find a thread. Maybe it's the fact that uh, they love your design process. Maybe it's the fact that they have seen other projects. You have a very unique style. We'll quantify that style because no one else has it. Right. So it's it's going through and figuring out what your secret sauce is because without your secret sauce, everyone else can just do whatever they want they can do you know, there's no differential difference between you and the other people if you can't make it obvious why you're different and why there's a higher value in going with you then you will always fight in the bottom rings there's just That's no right. way to get out of it
1: every Until time i've time. every time i've been stuck in 22 years of business if i just picked up the phone and called five customers I'd usually stumble onto
0: something that would un, would get my business unstuck. It's just yeah. five or 10 customers. The, um, the thing that's scary though, uh, you know, when it comes down to it is now we have to actually be truthful, right, Brian? So yeah. we actually have to be truthful. And sometimes that's hard to hear. It's really hard to hear when clients say, you know what, you know, you really suck at time. You told me two weeks it didn't happen. You were late. The project didn't turn out the same. So we just don't make those calls. We just want to just absorb it and be like, you know what? No, they're probably wrong. I know I did a good job and just keep your ego in check. But when you're willing to put that ego out on the line and you're willing to go deeper and ask your clients why they chose you and why they didn't choose you, that's when you fucking learn stuff. If you that's want to right. put your business in a different position, you must do the hard thing. This is where personal development comes in play. That's you right. must become a bigger man or woman in order to do that and not be scared because that's where the truth is going to be at.
1: And listen, don't do this unless you want to improve. I know a lot of self-employed people, uh, friends that are fine with being, you know, just kind of getting by one week to the next and whether it be in business or personally, like a guy, I have a good friend of mine who who's, who's overweight and he's fine and happy being overweight. He's yeah. not going to, he's not going to get excited about losing a bunch of weight. And I've got another, I've got another friend that, that, that runs a business. He's fine with being stuck at half a million. And he's not going to get excited about doing all these hard things to get to two or three or four yeah. million. So mm-hmm. unless you are excited about wanting to get to the next level, then don't do these things because they're not, they're not fun and they are painful. They and are. and it, the, yeah. the, the, one other thing that dovetails into this, the, these tactical things we're talking about is on top of picking up the phone and talking to five or 10 customers, do business with yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, dog food or what they call dog food your own product or 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 secret shop your own product Uh, man i've done this a handful of times in my last business and and it was so painful like i would i would listen to phone calls uh uh, from friends of mine that, that I would like secretly have them like sign up for our services and stuff like that just to hear the experience from end to end and, and, and walk in the shoes or, or just, you know, if, if you can do it anonymously through, through, through screens, then, then you do it. Uh, and then to see how you're treating your customers, see what they experience. see where they're confused, see where like, because there's this weird gap that emerges between founder logic and customer logic. And and you're both looking at the problem and solutions from like these different like paradigms and like, you want to close that gap. And one way you can do that is by doing business with yourself. Uh, It's so enlightening, but yet so painful. So that's another little thing that every time I'm stuck, I'll do some of that to
0: unstick the business. Oh man, I love that. That's, that's ballsy. I like that. <laughs> Sends some people in and see what happens. That's yes, right. We talked about earlier about, you know, doing the hard things and then you'll have an easy life. It's, you know, if you choose to do the hard things now you get to choose that words underline, you get to choose the hard thing. If you let it go and you do easy now and then come hard later, That's right. that choice isn't always yours. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's like whether you're going to work out now when you're young and keep a fit body throughout your life, that's a different you know trajectory. Then, if you just let it all go, and then later want to reclaim your health, now you've got a lot of limitations, right? So, in the beginning, you get to choose the pain of working out every day. Later, it's chosen for you because you want to live or you have some kind of health condition. So, same with business, you get to choose your hard. You're either going to choose it up front, or it's going to be chosen for you later when you have to make hard decisions that you don't want to make. So that's so true. that's a huge lesson I've learned so far.
1: That's so true, and and it's, that's what. You know, it's, it's what makes these things hard, and and there's a book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and and one thing that 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 the author, Dr. Stephen Covey, talks about in that book is. Um, most of our most of the times we we confuse urgency with importance, and so mm-hmm. we like every every one of us as business owners we get to the office and like there's all of these urgent things, and it's a ton of things like fires burning and upset customers and emails and vendors and and we're just banging through the urgent things and we think we're bi- we think we're accomplishing something, um, but re- the reality is. Is you need to you you have got to carve out time for the things that are important but not urgent. So these are the things like planning, strategy, forecasting uh, revenues, uh, for you know forecasting uh, and and planning around you know what people you're going to need, examining your value proposition, uh, you know being honest about that, talking to customers and and figuring out where you're letting them down. These are important things. That don't have to be done right this minute, and the problem is most of us as founders we get caught up in the in the things that are urgent but not important, or even worse, the things the things that 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 are that are urgent and and uh, that, that may be important, and 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 so we're we're stuck in this loop of not of not doing any of these things like what you just said, the 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 hard things up front, and then we're we're, we're confronted with a point in time where now we can't make payroll. Or yep. now we lost our biggest contract and we can't go get another one. Or now we got a huge tax bill that we never even knew that was going to hit us with. And and now we like like you said we don't have choices yep. because we didn't do those hard things up front. And and what I used to do was I'd come in Sunday afternoon four or five hours and I would do nothing. There might be a hundred emails that I needed to answer. I wouldn't even look at anything other than like two or three things and work on two or three things that were important, but not urgent. And if you can make time to do that, it does add up. It does compound. I love that, dude. I love
0: it. So one last question here before we wrap up, what do you think the number one thing is that holds people back from growing and becoming all that God created them to be? Yeah,
1: you know, for me, um, a, a lot of it ha- has had to do with uh, believing my own uh, BS. So believing, believing my own bullshit in terms of, well, I'm not a finance guy, therefore I can't study over that spreadsheet. I got to go get a finance guy in here to 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 decode this for me. And and then and then you you like do that unsuccessfully 3 or 4 times and then you get so pissed off that you just go to YouTube University and spend like a week straight watching every damn video you can get your hands on on the 80/20 of of, uh, of small business finance and, and whatever it is you're trying to do. And then you get like good enough dangerous. And then you just like you, then you innately understand it. And then you realize like those two or three people that you hired to like help you with it really weren't that good. And, and like you wasted their time and yours. And like, then you're almost ashamed of yourself because you didn't take the time to learn it. And so, so everything I've ever tried to delegate from a standpoint of like, of abducation of, I don't know how to do this. You go handle it and do it great. And then let me know when it's done. That is always blowing up in my face. And so, and so ideally it's like, Hey, I need you to handle it. Here's how I want you to handle this. This is what I expect you to do. Here's how I expect you to do it. Here's when I expect to have it backed by. Here's how I grade uh, the quality of if this was a success or not, because I know how to do all this. And so what's always held me back is not doing the hard work of understanding something um, you know, from innately before I tried to, to delegate it out. And, and so I, I still make this mistake today, you know, like uh, I, you know, I had to work with an attorney uh, last year and I, I, I knew this at the time, but I probably should have picked up two or three legal books on the subject, read those, and then hired an attorney. And I still made the same mistake. Hired an attorney and and wasted 10 grand on something and it didn't wasn't what we needed. And I went back to the drawing board, read the books, what, you know, and, and then I was able to hire the specific type of attorney for what I needed. So this stuff still haunts me, but that that's something that's always tripped me up.
0: Yeah, man, I I can definitely relate. You know, you get to a point where you get so busy and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to hire somebody to do this. And then you look at it. It's not the same. I want to be clear to those guys out there listening. It's not the same as, you know, I need to do everything myself. That's not what it is. Very different. Very different. Very different. That 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 philosophy will keep you in owning your job yep. forever, yep. right? So it's a matter of saying, look, I need to at least become aware of what's going on. That's what my coaches have always done for me. Uh, my sales coach specifically, he's like, when we are launching things and getting in the Infusionsoft and building systems, he says, you know what? You could hire a guy to go out to Infusionsoft or keep, and and then you can just have them build all these systems, but then you'll have no clue what's going on. Right. And you will just be always, you know, so go, you build some systems first. That probably won't work. Doesn't matter. You get your, at least get a sense of what it does. And then put in, hire the, reps. Yeah, put in the reps, understand, yep. become dangerous enough to understand it. And then you can get out there and hire somebody. So at least you can guide them to your point. At least you can guide and direct them because you have some competence in it. Not a lot, but some. It's not, it's very different than, than just saying, I need to do everything myself.
1: It's a weird paradox and that's what makes it confusing and hard. And that's what's made it. That's what's tripped me up because there's a, there is delegating too soon and then there's delegating too late. Yep. And, and it's this weird spectrum that you can, you can screw up on, on both sides. So a lot of new founders and I've done this delegate too soon, either out of laziness or they think they're doing the right thing, like ha ha, look at me, I've got this team of people doing all these things. You have no clue what they're doing, nope. and and you're just pissing your money away. So that's delegating too soon. And then delegating too late is like, oh, I'm doing everything myself. I'm working hundred hour weeks. Yeah, we're getting stuff done, and uh, but my hands are in everything. And if I and if I went to Mexico for a weekend, I'd come back and there'd be a big crater where my business was, yep. um, because you don't have any systems around you. And so that's delegating too late and you have to be aware of if where you're at on the spectrum and and always course correcting because you're, you you can you can always fall into one of these buckets and i, I definitely have at different stages of, of my journey and and just be aware of that of of that happy medium between the 80 20 knowing it how to do it yourself getting your hands dirty and then delegating from a point of stewardship of
0: i know how to do this here's how i want you to do it Oh, I love that. And you know, guys, if you're out there and you say, look, I've never stepped away from my business or I struggle every single time. You know, what happens is each time you leave your business, you create a vacuum, right? And all the little strings that are attached to you for all those decisions and all that stuff that comes on in the business, when you leave, then you're no longer there. So you create a vacuum. I think a vacuum is incredible because it teaches you very, very quickly what you need to start working on delegating, becoming dangerous. That's and right. starting to delegate out of it, right? Cause if you're ever going to have a business that's going to be saleable, you cannot be involved because everything else has to move beyond you. You know what I mean? So it can't be you the center of the hub and everything around you comes to you. You have to then just be managing the system, not be the center of the system. Exactly. Yeah, so... Brian, I could talk about this all day long, man. You get me going with this. I love this. I love chatting with you. So if people out there listening, if they want more information, they want to connect you, they want to learn more about uh, about GreenPow, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Yeah. Life's too short to mow your own yard, work on your system. So just go to GreenPal.com and sign up if you need uh, lawn maintenance services. If you are in the landscaping business and want to sign up as a vendor, just go to the homepage, scroll to the bottom and sign up. Anybody wants to reach me personally, hit me up on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. Just drop me a DM there.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian. I truly appreciate our conversation. I, I always love talking to someone who's as driven and as focused as you are and has learned as much on the street as I have. So thank you, brother, for coming on and sharing your knowledge. And uh, I hope to catch up with you here in the future. And all the listeners out there, we'll uh, we'll catch up with you next week.